Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Pointless, the podcast where we talk about some pointless things that are actually pretty practical. Before I introduce today's incredible guest, I just wanted to remind you that each week here on Pointless, I do a giveaway. Now, we have so many amazing listeners each week. However, we don't have a lot of entrances into our giveaway. So I just want to remind you to make sure you jump in on these giveaways because we haven't had a lot of entrances. So your chances are ridiculously high at the moment. So if you want to be in the to win this week's prize, which is uh, three Goodness Me boxes for three different people. Um, So all you need to do to enter this giveaway is jump over to the podcast app, leave this podcast a five-star review telling us why you love Pointless, take a screenshot of your review, upload it to your Instagram stories and tag Pointless Podcast and we will pick our three lucky winners. So today I'm chatting with Peter. Peter is the founder of the incredible subscription company, Goodness Me Box. Peter founded Goodness Me Box after she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease um, and she learned that she needed to make some drastic changes in her lifestyle, including the types of foods that she needed to start consuming and stop consuming and the types of products she needed to use on her skin. She saw a huge gap in the market for a subscription box company that allowed health conscious people to try all different types of amazing toxic three toxic-free products each month conveniently delivered to your door. So in today's episode, Peter talks about her struggles with her autoimmune disease, how her career in PR led to a successful launch in Goodness Me Box, and that I mean a very successful launch, what a day looks like in her business, how Peter started her business with zero startup experience, the growth in which Goodness Me Box has experienced to date, what Goodness Me Box does in terms of marketing, plus we talk about so much more. So buckle in guys, this one is an incredible episode. And just a reminder, if you do know anybody that does suffer from an autoimmune disease, or even if it's just yourself, um, or you have some friend or a family member that's on their startup journey, please share this podcast with them because the more listeners we get, the more incredible guests that I can get onto the show. And I do want to just say a big thank you for all of your love and support on this podcast. We are still very new, but our listeners are incredible and our feedback is amazing and our giveaways are going to become more and more amazing as well so make sure you're entering those so without any further ado here is the amazing Peter from Goodness Me Box. Hi Peter welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So excited to speak to you today about your amazing business Goodness Me Box. Uh, Just before we get started just want to get a little bit of an idea on how you got into this business and what was your I guess your driving factor towards starting Goodness Me. Yeah, sure. So my background was in PR in the health and wellness space, which I absolutely loved. Like I loved pitching to media, loved coming up with stories. And I was actually getting quite sick along that journey. So I'd just finished uni. And before I got my first full-time role, I was in bed for about three months. Doctors didn't know what was wrong with me and just put it down to chronic fatigue. But I'd got this role in a PR company and I really wanted it. So I finally got well enough to go to work. But for three years, I would sort of go to work, come home really fatigued and spend all weekend sleeping. And this was from the age of about 21. And I'd kind of given up going to doctors because during that first three-month period, I went to so many and just wasn't getting any answers. And it becomes quite disheartening when that happens and also really frustrating Um, and I just accepted it as my normal and forgot what it was like to jump out of bed with full energy and you know really be able to um, 
you know, not feel a, a dull headache all the time and swollen glands in my neck and, you know, to not have a, a shot immune system basically. And I finally um, was at the GP three years later. It was the eighth or ninth time I'd been to him that year with a cold or flu and he wanted to put me on another antibiotic. And I remember just begging him to send me to a specialist again. So I went to an immunologist and he finally diagnosed me with an autoimmune condition and explained my body doesn't create enough antibodies to fight off viruses or bacteria, and hence why I was getting sick all the time. I just had like a really bad immune system. And his solution to me was that I would need to go to hospital once a month for the rest of my life to get these protein antibody transfusions to keep my energy levels up. And that was it. And I remember sitting there being like, well, I notice when I don't get enough sleep or when I drink alcohol or if I try and exercise and push myself, I'll immediately get sick. And he flat out said to me, that's got nothing to do with it. Wow. So I was 24 at that time and to walk out thinking, okay, this is the rest of my life. I was pretty upset. And then I woke up the next morning and I was angry. I remember being mad the next day and I was like, this is crazy. Like surely it can't be like this for the rest of my life. And because I was working in the PR space in the health and wellness sector, the ironic thing was I wasn't applying anything I was learning. Um, And, you know, we were learning about gut health. We were bringing out all these cool doctors from overseas who were really on the cutting edge of medicine And so I called up one of the CEOs of the organisations we worked with and asked her to recommend a doctor to me. And I went to this doctor and one of the first things she said to me is we need to change a lot of your lifestyle factors. And one of them was reducing the inflammation in my body and cutting out all the artificial and processed foods. And prior to this, had you had much knowledge about the importance of, you know, not eating specific foods for your health or were you just one of those people who would just pretty much eat anything and everything? Growing up, I'd eat anything and everything. Um, I wasn't conscious at all about what I was putting into my body. Um, A lot of processed foods looking back. And then when I started working in the PR sector, I think what I thought was healthier and nourishing my body was what I was doing, but I wasn't. Like eating... um, you know, rice crackers and protein bars filled with artificial ingredients yeah. and diet exactly soft drinks you and you think I you're think there's a huge misconception there because even if you look at, say, veganism, for instance, being vegan, a lot of people think, oh, you must be so healthy. But I feel like even with a lot of vegan foods, it is just even more processed and have even has even more horrible ingredients in it. I think, and it's the same with gluten-free foods as well. Like you've got to be careful that there's not added fillers in there and artificial ingredients to make it all thick and that starchy feel as well. So um, for me, it's all about like what is the food actually made with and is it made from real ingredients? And just because it says natural or vegan or gluten-free on the front... Doesn't mean it's healthy. Doesn't mean it's healthy at all. And it's confusing. It's so hard to know. Like who wants to stand at the supermarket for hours reading all the packaging to try and understand 
you know. But that's the thing. Even if people do stand there and read it, they're not going to necessarily understand. Yeah. It is quite confusing. So exactly. the doctors told you you had an autoimmune disease. They told you that you needed to go to the hospital monthly for this infusion. What? So your next step was to, to cut out all the process, processed foods and try to implement an anti-inflammatory diet. Yes. And you obviously did that. I did that and I did it so diligently because I was so desperate. So I was, I was walking into supermarkets and turning around the packaging, reading the ingredients. But what I found when I was doing that was there was not much on the shelf that I could actually eat. So I started walking into health food stores and it was there. I was discovering like all these cool products and they actually tasted good and they were filling. And I think there was a huge misconception, especially six or seven years ago, that healthy didn't taste good and it was about that whole diet culture so for me I found that surprising and also found the experience of going into a health food store really fun like the discovery process and along those lines after three months I noticed my energy was feeling better um, my test results were starting to improve wow and so this sparked a, a business idea really to say, okay, well, how can I merge something I'm becoming really passionate about, which are whole food products and something I'm good at. And what I felt I was good at at the time is PR and promoting brands and marketing and partnerships. So um, the idea of a health food sampling subscription box where we could send out a surprise box of up to 10 products um, really fitted that bill. It was about getting people excited about health products and having that experience I was having but also promoting these new and emerging brands who are really struggling to get cut through in the market because it's hard for them. It's hard to kick off a big FMCG product off the supermarket shelf who are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to the supermarkets for advertising and for placement and they're just such a well-known and established brand. So how did you get Goodness Me Box off the ground? I mean, you had this amazing idea, it complemented your new lifestyle um, and your newfound passion for healthy foods and your, your health, your overall health. What was the next step for you? I mean, you obviously need to connect with brands. Had you already have done that through the PR or did you have a, like a great network already? I actually didn't have a network already. So PR, we did deal with health food, but it was mostly on the supplement side and health practitioners. So, I mean, step number one, I actually remember turning to my now husband and saying to him, okay, where do I start? And he said, just Google business plan. I was like, okay. So I just Googled a business plan, put that together. It was something really simple, but it made sense. And um, from there, for me, step one was building the website and getting the design right because I thought if people want to take this brand seriously, it's got to look good. And, um, you know, you often hear just start and release your, release your first iteration and don't perfect it. But for me, the design was really important because I knew from the plan that the business had three months to make or break and I'd, I'd run out of money and wouldn't be able to pay my rent um, if we sort of didn't establish an audience or traction. So you gave yourself time. three months to become profitable? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Essentially, which sounds crazy now yeah. at the time because that generally doesn't happen to new businesses at all but I was naive I didn't know that I didn't really think much further than that to be honest and I, I would I would assume or imagine the most expensive part of your your startup would have been your website 
uh, I probably would I be right in saying that because with the inventory you're actually using other brands inventory so did you find that there was a less capital for the startup than say a business where you'd have to go and get your minimum order quantity of x amount to you know brand your product you were using other businesses products yeah absolutely so our website cost two grand which was super cheap at the time and came back to bite me definitely after so I think the design was actually the most important part um and then in terms of the brands, that was about going out to them with this idea. And I always say now, I look back and I'm so thankful for the brands who said yes and took a bet on what I was doing because they didn't have to believe in that idea or the concept. So um, for me, that was using my partnership skills to do that, which I'd learned in PR. And, and most of them, I reached out cold to them. But amazing brands like Mavers and Raw Sea Coconut Water and Loving Earth, like they, they all said yes, which was, yeah, something I won't forget either. Amazing. So did you initially, like you mean, you must be ahead of the game in a couple of months. I mean, every single month your subscribers are getting brand new products. How hard is it to, to be, you know, collaborating all these different brands into your monthly subscription? You, you must have a team that are constantly out there sourcing new products. Yeah, it's definitely a complicated process. So, I mean, for us, there's so many factors we bring into it. We want to bring everyone the latest and greatest, like the newest products on the market because it's all about that surprise factor to keep it fun. Um, At the same time, we cater for dietary requirements. So we've got a box that's for both gluten and dairy-free or a box if you're vegan as well. So we're taking that into consideration and then a lot of the time we like to theme the boxes as well. So it's about mixing it up but, you know, being at all the events, being in touch with all the brands constantly. Um, I think from the first few months we actually grew quite a well-established name for Goodness Me Box that the brands were coming to us and they still do today. So that's definitely helpful. And a lot of brands now when they're launching as part of their launch plan into the industry, they'll contact us to be a part of that marketing campaign. So I think we're really lucky that 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 now happens um, more organically, but um, it's definitely a fun role for the, the brand bet. and partnership. <laughs> and I, I could imagine that, that um, you know, it's gotten to a point now where you have a lot of customers that it's almost become a, a, a marketing um, aspect for the brands. So do they pay to have their products in your box or do you pay them to put their products in your box? Yeah, so they don't pay to be in the box, but by the same token, we don't pay either. It's a complete partnership. Amazing. And definitely from day one, we've been... Um, positioned as a marketing service because it's an opportunity to get their product in the hands of a very targeted customer and then we'll do a marketing campaign for them throughout the month through all our platforms but every product we're marketing it's gone through a process with our health practitioners that we have checked it we vetted it we recommend it and prove it so it's not like we're doing anything for sponsorship or for advertising dollars. Like we genuinely believe in the products that are in the box. So I think that's really important. And one of the things I love about the business is that it's a win-win for everyone and that it is a partnership. And so um, for me, I'm much better at creating partnerships where it's a win-win for everyone than I suppose making it a, a more transactional relationship. I'd so much rather, yeah, make it a win-win for everyone. That's amazing. So how many how many boxes do you actually have? I mean, I've seen you've got a, a children's box, which is more uh, more of a recent um, 
box, is that right? Yeah, so we brought out a monthly kids box, which is super cute. But what we found on um, social media was a lot of mums were unboxing their boxes and the kids are stealing the products in the box. Um, So for us, it's about getting kids excited from a young age about healthy health food, foods. yeah, in a non-confronting way. And so we released the kids box and now we also have a quarterly natural beauty box as well um, with all natural products. And we have our online shop too. So you find a product and you're like, great. And then you're like, oh, but where can I get it? You Amazing. know, because a lot of them are hard to find. Because so. the majority are sample size. Is that correct? Yeah, we do a mix of sample and full size products in the box. So, Which is such a great, a great thing for your consumer because they can test a product. Because health foods aren't always the cheapest products in the world. I mean, you could find this protein powder that's vegan and you know you've you've heard about it but you've never tried it and it's you know 80 90 dollars for for a bag you buy it and you absolutely hate it you've just wasted your money so I guess it's a great opportunity for your customers to to try this say protein powder in a sample size they might fall in love with it then they can jump onto your website and purchase it exactly and I'm assuming you have some sort of an affiliate program with the brand so you can actually leverage off that as well yeah, yeah. So they currently they all ship the products as well that go out. So we're working with them on that. So it's like a marketplace, what we've set up. But to your point, like you might be really curious to try hemp flour or cauliflower flour, but you don't want to spend the money on a bag. So it's like getting to try before you buy. And um, unfortunately, health food is still, it's a premium. It is more expensive these days. So for me, I'm such a big believer in let's grow a community and the demand for it because the supermarkets and the retailers, they're not going to listen to push the price down. It's got to come from us. And when there's that mass demand, that's when everything will become more equalised amongst everyone. It's definitely getting better though. I remember when I first became quite ill when I was about 12 years old and my you know, naturopath and doctors told me that I needed to cut all gluten out of my diet. Gluten-free products in 2005 were just non-existent. And yeah. the products that were available were, you know, you'd get the odd chocolate biscuit that was gluten-free but it just crumbled to buggery and it was horrible it tasted terrible and the gluten-free pastas were like $15 for a packet of gluten-free pasta so we've definitely come a long way but I think we've still got got quite a long way to go yeah yeah come such a long way like the gluten-free products used to be terrible as well so I think now it's it can match on taste and texture but um it's just the demand I mean even in the last couple weeks um Two of the big health food stores have gone to administration. So there was really? like Flannery's, Healthy Life. Um, have they? Got taken over by Govida. Wow. So I think it's really telling of Australia is a tough market. The population's really spread out and it's quite different to America where Whole Foods is everywhere as God, well. God, I love Whole Foods. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how good oh, is it? <laughs> it is honestly like a toy shop. The best. The, the best. best. So, I, I mean, I wish we could have something like that in Australia, but maybe it's just not the right environment here to Why have that Why do you think that is? Surely, the, you know, we're not less educated in this sector than, say, Americans. Is it the population? What, what, do, you, what do you think it is that stops Australia being so, I guess, switched on in this sector? Yeah, we've been discussing this a lot in the office and also with our community as well. I mean... I definitely don't think we're less educated. We're quite ahead of the curve here when it comes to health food products and trends. I think it's to do with our population and how spread out we are as well. Um, I think it's difficult to launch a store that is more premium and then to have enough people buying and coming coming to it as well. And 
I mean, there definitely is the education factor, like health food and whole foods. It still does need to need to spread in Australia a bit more as well. But for the brands, it's tough. Like if you're a, a brand in this health space and you are relying on those two retailers as your source of income, what are they going to do? So I think it's really key for the brands that they need more innovative marketing techniques and alternative retailers opportunities to sell their product. So when you started this business, what year was it, sorry? 2014. Were yes. there any competitors? Was there anyone else doing anything quite like this in the market? No, there was no one in the health space. There were definitely beauty box companies who were doing sampling and that's also like a look to the US. I think the US is great if you're starting a business to they're look there and the see. Game, they? Yeah, like to see what they're doing. And um, there were things going on there in the US, but not in the the health food space. So it was quite a new concept when I started. And how do you go logistically? Because I I know with an e-commerce product and a tangible product, it can be make or break a a business's success. You know, Australia Post or any sort of courier companies, they're just getting more and more expensive and it's becoming so much harder for brands to really get off the ground because sometimes, I mean, most of the time, logistics just eat into your profits. That's it. Shipping is so expensive in Australia. And I mean, our box is $25 a month. Like shipping, shipping's expensive. Um, is that including postage or do they pay postage on top of that? If you commit to a three or six month subscription up front, you get shipping free. Um, but a monthly it's $6.95. But Which is still pretty reasonable. I yeah, mean, I've noticed recently more. that Australia Post have increased their prices again in the last like few weeks. I noticed that um, prior, anything that would weigh up to 500 grams were around $8.50 for a satchel. But what they've done now is they've removed that 500-gram bag and it's now up to a kilo, but it's now $12. Uh, So if you're sending a product that weighs 100 grams, it's still going to cost you the same amount as sending something that's a kilo. So they've made it really, really difficult. So do you use Australia Post? Do you use a courier company? We use a mix of couriers. So we've got um, a shipping app that sort of allocates to the cheapest cheapest carrier, which is really good. Um, But... On the weight issue, there's so many factors to think about. So when we're curating the box, like weight is a big issue as well. We've because had your boxes would be different weight every single month. Exactly. So we try to keep them under two kilos. It's actually a must for us. But we've had incidences where it's like four or five grams over. And wow. Australia Post will pick that up. They've got the technology. And next thing you're paying $5 extra shipping for everyone or something like that. So we've had situations where we've had to fix something like that. Or, you know, I've had to call up a CEO of one of our carriers and just say, you know, we've had this four year long standing relationship with you. Can we work something out? So we've definitely had incidences like that. Because I mean, for us, we're sending to thousands and thousands of people every month. You do $5 times that. That's a a whopping fee too yeah but on the um, logistics side that was something I didn't think much about so when I launched I didn't have a warehouse the plan was to pack them ourselves the first month which we did but everything had to change I remember a week before launching negotiating our courier prices and um, happened to negotiate a really great rate at the time but I didn't I didn't realize it was such a big deal because that is one of your biggest costs as well Huge. So, um, and for you, it would be your biggest cost would be logistics. Yeah, yeah. Surely, absolutely. That's it. And um, operations and logistics, like I can do it, and I'm good at it, but I don't love it. Yeah, you know, it's so much rather. You're an entrepreneur. You're the creative side. Yeah, creative marketing partnerships. 
so um, it's just about having the right people as well in your team. And to do be you able to do use that. a three PL now for your logistics, like a third party logistics company, or do you still pack and send everything yourself? So we use a third party company. So yep. we actually have always, since the beginning, supported um, companies that employ workers with intellectual disabilities. Oh, amazing! Yes, yeah, so that's a really core part of our business. So we've done that for five years, and for us, that's really nice to be able to give them that equal opportunity and to be independent and be able to work. So um, we go to the warehouse, you know, every other month, and we love, you know, like working with them as well. We'll sit with them and also pack some of the boxes as, a, as a team bonding experience yeah. too. So. so let's talk about the marketing side of the business. I mean, such a fantastic product, but you've got to get it out to people. And I think that this is a massive problem for so many people who want to start their own business. If They've got the million dollar business idea, but they don't know how to get it from idea to execution and then to the people. Mm. So what do you do? What's part of your marketing, um, I guess your marketing plan in the business to, to really get your product and your brand out there sure so I always say I agree with you you can have a great idea there's so many great ideas out there but if you don't know how to get it out there who, who's so gonna know exactly yeah um so on the marketing side what I did in the beginning isn't necessarily what would work now I think back in the day about five or six years ago you could rely on three or four channels and just do them really, really well. So for me, when I launched, that was PR, it was Instagram, it was growing our EDM database. It was having a great referral program. But um, as the years have gone by, I think you really need an integrative approach and you need to be doing a lot of things. So one part of our marketing strategy is that we have a big annual whole food night markets every year. And we had over a thousand people from our community come in our latest ones. And it's a really great, spectacular event. And that's about bringing the community together as well. And as much as is, as is going on digitally at the moment, I think it's really important to not forget about community and have that face-to-face interaction with your customer. So we do that once a year, but it is a core part of our marketing strategy wow. as well. Um, obviously, social media's such a big part it can be a really cost effective part of a marketing strategy particularly when you're launching as well to see well what can you get organically going um you know we always say you don't own your customer on social media but if you've got their email address you know then you can really access them so the edm database is really critical to that um where we're sort of you know everywhere from also doing paid advertising as well um email marketing, which I mentioned, we've got a great loyalty program going on. So I think the most important thing though is about getting your customers to be your biggest advocates as well because nothing's more powerful than word of mouth. And I think that's something that we really nailed in the beginning, um, getting our customers talking about the brand. So we've got now to date over 100,000 product reviews and our customers Love having wow. a voice and That's being amazing. able to share, yeah, That's being incredible. able to share what they think about products and you know giving their opinion and feeling listened to. So I think that's key. And do you find that it that you know the products that they receive in their subscriptions? Do you find that they really convert for the brands after they've tried the products? Yes, absolutely. So um, customers tell us all the time that they go buy stuff, and we see it from our online shop as well. Um, I think you know it's also down to the product being a great product as well that people will love, but they definitely go and purchase products after. And as you said, it's down to that 
try before you buy. And it's also that discovery process. Like they, they didn't know something was on the market. So being able to find that alternative is really key. So do you do much influencer marketing? I think that's a, a very uh, popular way to market a product these days, using an influencer um, to advocate and, and promote your brand. Does, does influencer marketing work for your business? Yeah, so we do a lot of that. Um, for the first few years in the beginning, we had a very strict policy of not paying anyone but working with influencers who genuinely just wanted the product so it would be organic and, and really, really authentic. Um, and that was really important to me as well. And we were lucky enough that a lot of people did really want the product to do that. So we just work with a lot of people still from that time. On a contra basis. Yeah, yeah. on a contra basis. Now there might be less than, you know, on my hand counting, like the number of people that we will pay who have quite enormous followings and it's just become the expectation and the norm that they require and absolutely understand they're running a business and they've built up themselves as a brand but they have to believe in the product I think that's key like people are really savvy these days they know influencers are being paid so it's got to look and feel authentic I think what I found with your business in particular with some of the influencers that I follow personally is you've created this uh, this relationship with them where it's not just taking a photo on their grid tagging you and then moving on it's kind of a journey that you've created with these individuals and they're posting it on a monthly basis so when you look at collaborating with an influencer do you take do you take that into consideration that it's kind of a it's a it's a long-term journey as opposed to just a a once-off photo yeah I think it's got to be regular I mean when you think about how many it's just more authentic yeah and also when you think about the touch points how many times someone needs to see or hear about a product before they buy I think it's something like 16, 16 that I last yep. heard yep, yep. and That's it used to be huge. when I had my first company it was six six yeah how crazy is that and you think okay Every time someone hears about your product, that's a cost to your business, right? Whether it's an EDM or an advert that touches them. So if you can get your customers talking about your product as well, that's something that you're not paying for and that's free. But so I think seeing that regular, um, you know, seeing the product regularly with an influencer is important. It also is more genuine, like they, they're on that journey and they do like the product. But for some businesses, it's hard to do that. Like the cost of their products really expensive. Um, You know, it's more premium. So to be sending product out that much can be tricky. Absolutely. And in that case, I would pick just like five or ten really key people and have that solid relationship with them as well. And it's also about knowing your market. So instead of just like sending it out to everyone – who is your audience and who works for your business and do they have the right engagement and that's who you want to work with. Is there one influencer in particular that you work with now or have in the past that has really converted? For us, it's an absolute mix of people. We love working with um, mums as well. I think mums have built a really great community and especially the ones who don't hide the highs and lows from their community like they're just real and show the difficulties of being a mum because it's hard you know and so I think that's really relatable I also find a lot of the influencers who are very active on their stories and who share a lot of their life on their stories and who talk to the camera they're the ones who have built trust and built a community and I think that trust factor is really important when you're selecting who 
who to, to work to with. work with and yeah. partner with. Yeah. So, what? Where do you see your business in the next, say, five years? How do you continually grow and evolve with product development? I mean, you've got this incredible. Um, basis I suppose this great model blueprint you might want to call it how do you see yourself evolving are you a global company or do you just ship within Australia where do you see yourself in the next few years so we ship to Australia and New Zealand and we've recently just the other week opened up to the US as well for us we've only just scratched the surface like we we really really have and so I see so much more opportunity to just keep growing the health boxes, the kids' box, the beauty box, and what we set out to do and to grow our online shop as well to complete that journey for everyone. I think something I've learned along the way is not to get distracted by all the shiny new ideas. It's so easy and I'm sure you can relate. Absolutely. Yeah, like as a, as a business owner and entrepreneur, you see all these other things or think of the, all these other ideas and you just want to do them straight away and start working on them. But for I'm, me, I'm bad at that. Yeah, yeah. I think we we all are, right? Um, but focusing on the main thing is really, really key, and so that's what we want to keep doing. Um, and for me, it's also about you know our whole mission is to make a difference to people's health by changing their food choices for the better, and so. That involves just scaling the business and growth in order to do that. You know, we want to get people excited and about health food and make it a fun experience and also help these brands grow. So um, to do that, it's just about growth and staying focused. So in terms of, you know, going global and expanding your business overseas, I think a lot of brands would love to do that. But logistically, again, we go back to logistics, that's really challenging for a lot of brands. So do you hold your stock now in the US or how do you get it from, from A to, you know, consumer over in America and still kind of keep within that cost-effective bracket. I mean, that must be really, really challenging. Yeah. So we still ship from Australia. We didn't move anything there at the moment. This is almost like a, a test phase. It The shipping is crazy. The shipping is really expensive. So I think to do it properly, um, there are some things we definitely need to work on as well. For me, we wanted to do it easily at a low cost low risk basis launch into the US because there's still so much more opportunity in Australia and New Zealand so for us it was about let's open the checkout there let's see how it goes and if there's something worth pursuing further maybe we'll draw attention there but we don't want to lose focus from Australia and New Zealand other businesses might be quite different um, particularly if their product isn't changing every month but for us it is. So we can't ship over a whole lot of stock and keep it there for six months. So it's a, it's a little bit different. Tricky. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, you know, we've talked about all your successes and the amazing journey that you've had so far. There's got to have been times where you've just gone like, shit, this is not good. Have you had any failures or lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah. I mean, even this morning, <laughs> I've been having issues this morning before I came here, but with the um, suppliers and stock and pulling out last minute and making sure we're going to have enough boxes in time for next year as well. But I would say one of our biggest struggles has been with the website in the in the early days. Um, I mentioned we spent like two grand on our first website. I had no idea I was entering the tech space in business. I didn't even think about that and ended up building a monster custom built website that was draining the business every single month and became so, so expensive. And we were locked into this situation where we couldn't pull out of paying the developers who were building something because we had a site that was breaking. And 
we had to keep continuing, but we couldn't afford to keep paying fees every single month. So um, I'll never get locked into a relationship like that again. And I think, you know, always projecting your downside if things don't work out, you know, what would we do if this website build didn't work out or if it took longer than we expected, which it did. It took 11 months instead of the promised three months. So every month that was going on, you know, we were losing money and losing business as well. So that was a really tough time and I came to a point where I realised one day that we wouldn't have any money left within three weeks' time. And so that was probably the hardest period I've been through with the business. Wow, that's crazy. So let's, again, I just want to talk about, um, you know, are you in this journey on your own? Are you running this business on your own with your staff? Yeah. How, how do you go with that? I mean, I mean, being a woman in business can be challenging at the best of times. And I don't like to put fluff on that and make it, you know, violins and, and whatnot. But it can be quite challenging. You, there is a lot of pressure on you as a, you know, a business owner. How do you go with that? Do you just have your days where you just break down? You're like, this is just so hard and stressful? Sometimes, yes. But you never want to give up either like you know it's hard and you have your days but I never thrown the towel like even at that point when I was like oh my gosh we've got three weeks left and you know I was so upset you know that week and like you're overwhelmed and you never want to give up and I think that's what defines like sometimes your business isn't the best it's just that you've held on the longest as well but what did you do to turn that around I mean you had three weeks left of money what did you do to turn that around yeah so I think business is a real mix of hard work and luck as well. And it's kind of like the intersection of the two. And for us, we were really lucky that a week after I realised that there's something called the R&D tax incentive where you get 42 cents back for every dollar spent on research and development and innovating something. And so that got approved and landed that money landed in the bank account a week later. It was $100,000 and it allowed us to stop and reset and it was that was so lucky that's like a big that one timing. I think because I mean so many founders and startups out there probably don't know about these government incentives mm. how did you learn to discover that did someone tell you about it did you do some research about it for any startups that might be listening to this podcast how can they go about looking into to these grants that might be able to assist them yeah um someone told us about it ask your accountant if you've got a good accountant they should know about the grants as well Um, And speaking to other business owners, so it might have even been another business owner that told us about it. I was surprised that the web developer agency didn't tell us about it because for me that would be a selling point that, you know, we're going to charge you X amount but, you you know, you can claim on this tax incentive because what you're doing is really innovative as well. So, um, yeah, asking your accountant is probably step one and – Googling like grants for small businesses in Australia, grants for innovation, grants for overseas marketing as well. Um, and if you're a small business, you know, there's grants for, um, I believe, for new employees if they've been with you for over a year as well for, for some certain circumstances. So there are things out there. It's about having the time to research to, to and, research and look for them. And that's <laughs> the thing, I don't think a lot of people even think that 
that's a possibility. I mean, even in the past, I'd be like, oh, gosh, it would just be too hard. There's no chance that it would ever go over the line for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, you would think that it would just be such a hard process. But by the sounds of it, I mean, a lot of people could be eligible. Yeah. And, I mean, we had amazing um, accountants who specialised in the R&D tax. That's pretty much all they do. And so they handle it and sort it all out. So you've got to find the right partners. But speaking to other business owners can be really helpful from that perspective as well. Amazing. So what does a day in the life of the founder of Goodness Be Me Box look like? What What does a day look like for you? Yeah, every day is pretty different in the office, I'd say. But um, I usually, I will exercise most mornings. For me, that's my sanity check. It helps like put my stress and everything, particularly walking. Um, but for me, going into the office, I've now at a point where I don't work in the business as much and I work on the business in the earlier days it was me calling all the brands and speaking to them and organizing partnerships and campaigns Um, we have quite a lot of team meetings as well so every day every Monday is our team huddle and then we do our stand-ups every day um, just where everyone has a minute of time going through things so that we're all on the same page Um, I could be doing anything from working on strategy for the business Um, yesterday I was busy working on sponsorship for our event that's coming up as well. Um, So some of the higher level, bigger sponsorships is sometimes the things that I'll work on, outreaching to speakers to be at the event. Um, Finances as well is something that, you know, I still look at and working with the accountant, working on our forecasting. Um, HR, I mean, we're still a small business as well, you know, so... You, d- you don't have an HR person in the business, so it's you managing everything in the team with the team. How many staff do you have working for you? So we've got eight and then we outsource our warehouses third parties and then you've got everyone in the warehouse doing everything as well. So it's pretty streamlined the way we've structured everything, which is um, really good from the, the business model side. So to date, you've been in business for a few years now. What's been your your biggest day? I mean, there must have been a day where, you know, an influencer has posted for you or you've done a really successful campaign and you've just looked at your daily sales and gone, holy shit, this has never happened before. Is there a milestone day that resonates with you? I would say there's more a month that really resonated with me. So I mentioned the website build earlier. We actually made the decision about a year after we finished the build to chuck everything away and get rid of it, which was a huge decision. What do you mean by chuck everything away? We just wanted to move platforms and close close down the custom-built site. And, I mean, after all the, the time, the effort, the tears like that went into actually building that, we ended up spending so much time and money just maintaining this custom-built site and trying to optimise it, but we never got the time to get there because we're just keeping everything together Um, and so we actually decided to move platforms to Shopify where you don't have to spend that time and effort Mm -hmm. and um, and that was a huge decision to say okay we're actually just you know use someone else's platform yeah yeah and do that and um, that month we restructured our marketing strategy as well we moved platforms and that was just completely life-changing for the business that month so what did that month look like um I mean we just had thousands more sales coming through there was obviously something significantly wrong with the site um it allowed us to focus on marketing a lot more rather than on the 
operations and logistics side and tech side of the business mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it, I think um, something changed with our deliveries as well that month. I'm trying to remember. But th- there were just so many factors that happened in one month. And sometimes you're quite scared to change everything in the business. But um, it, was the, it was the best thing that we ever did. So how do you go with like retaining customers? I mean, that must be a big uh, component to your business as well. I know for me personally, I have a subscription-based business as well. And the lifetime value of a customer and retaining that customer for as long as possible can be sometimes challenging. And I would, you know, sometimes I potentially look at your, your business and product as a luxury. You know, it's it's for people that might have a bit of disposable income that are willing to, you know, set aside $25 a week, uh, sorry, a month for, for your, your product. How do you go about retaining these customers? And I mean, especially in this day and age with uh, the economy going up and down and, and people not having as much money as, you know, they may used to have. Being a luxury, how do you go retaining these people? So churn is probably like the number one factor to consider if you're starting a subscription-based business. Churn, churn is everything. Um, and your business can die very quickly if you don't look after that churn and, and retain those customers. Um Churn is a massive journey. Yesterday, we actually had a whole workshop about it in the afternoon, um, which was really interesting, where we met up with another business. They did an open book session and to- showed us how they'd reduced their churn and everything they'd done. And that was fascinating. It so, was what sort of things for my marketing would team. they have done? Churn starts from everywhere from the onboarding process with your customer. Um, and inviting them into a community to make them feel like they're part of So like a Facebook bigger. group or, or something like that? Yeah, or it might even be um, the content marketing that you're giving them as well, um, right down to knowing the trigger points where people usually drop off and being able to catch them before that point and being able to offer them something or fix it up or give them a call or reach out to them in some way. So... Um, And it's also about knowing who to target because you might be doing all this great marketing and getting all these customers, but they might be the wrong customers who just want a freebie or just want a discount or um, they thought maybe they'd try your product and test it out and then leave. And maybe they're not the right customer for you. So it's working out who are the stickiest customers, what is their customer avatar and their profile, and that's where you want to spend your marketing dollars. So it goes hand-in-hand acquisition and churn, Mm -hmm. you can be, um, if you can figure out your churn, you can be spending less on marketing or spending in the right areas on marketing and then as a result, reducing your churn too. Do you offer some sort of an incentive to to get a new customer on board? Do you offer a percentage off or something free with their first purchase? How do you do that? Because I know with me personally with Her Organics, when we first started, I was I thought that it would be such a great idea to offer the first month free, being that they'd be then locked in for three months. But we found that that actually didn't work because people feel then that they're locked into something. So we then removed that first month free and made it the first month half price. So it's just about testing it, isn't it? But is there something you do specifically to kind of lure someone in? Yeah, testing testing what brings someone in is really important. Um, we've never done the first month free with the box, but what we do like to do is like a gift with purchase. And I think rather than discounting and devaluing your product – that seems to work better as an incentive to get people to sign up to a longer plan. Um, from time to time, we have discounts, like we might have influences with a code here and there, 
or obviously it was just Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but we pick like two key times during the year to have a big sale and then we don't do anything in between that. In the early years, we were having lots of sales, there were lots of discount codes flying around and we just made a blanket rule to stop doing that and we didn't have a sale pretty much for a year at one point. Like we just completed because people were commenting on social media, I'll just wait for the next sale to come by. So you want people to value your product and you'll find the people who actually spend more on your product on the longer subscription are actually the stickiest. They feel more invested. And you have a loyalty program now as well, which helps to retain them as well, I'm assuming. Yeah, so we actually had that from day one, the loyalty program, even on the the cheap $2,000 website that we started. I think um, having a loyalty program is pretty important. People love the idea of gamification as well. So having some kind of incentive, but our incentive hasn't always been discounts. Sometimes it might be like a free gift or something again. Amazing. Okay, before we finish up, we've got this game that we play called Pointless. And I have a deck of cards here with a heap of different random, random questions. So I want you to pick a card, then give it back to me. And hopefully you feel comfortable answering the Pointless question. It's a good idea. What is your favourite TV show? Ah, um, I like this question because I do like to watch TV. Turn do you? Good. Yes. Finally, an entrepreneur <laughs> that admits that they actually watch this. Absolutely. Alley. So, um, I, my husband and I, are watching at the moment a show called Deuce. So it's about Times Square in the nineteen seventies, and um, about all um, the hookers, the pimps. Um, all the, the drug deals going on, really, really, really interesting. Is that so on Netflix? I've been loving it. It's actually on iTunes. Ah. I know we've been buying it, which is, yeah. Interesting. Not, not oh, that happens, sounds like a good yeah, show. I might re- have a it's really good geezer at that. Yeah. Okay, question number really two. Do you sleep naked? No. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Underwear. Underwear. <laughs> no. I was the same. I can't. My guests yesterday were like, yes. I'm like, I just can't do it. Okay. Question number three. What is your perfect Friday night? So um, we actually have a really nice tradition where we see our families every Friday night and that is our non-negotiable. Like no matter what is going on at work or how bad things are, that's something I've done every single week since I started the business and we have these big dinners with my cousins and my granny and oh, my extended nice. family. And honestly, that's probably been one of the best, most grounding things running the business. Like you actually forget about everything. It puts everything in perspective. So that's something I'm pretty, as cheesy as it all sounds, pretty thankful for that it's we do. It's the best. Yeah. Family yeah, time the is best. the best. All right, question number four. You've got off pretty easy so far. What was the last text message you sent? It probably was to me asking if I wanted and wanted a coffee. Asking if you want a coffee and you said a loose leaf almond A loose leaf chai. almond chai. And you're probably like, oh, give me a break. We're both ordering yeah. almond milk. So last go. one. If you had to be on a reality TV show, what? which one would it be? This one's easy. Um, Real Housewives. Of Beverly Hills. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> I love watching like their lifestyle is so ridiculous and so trivial what they argue about, but it does make you completely stop thinking about work as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You've been amazing. I loved hearing about your business journey. 
Just before we finish, is there anything um, that my listeners can do to serve you today as a thank you for your time? Yes. I I mean, something that makes us really happy is to go and tag a brand and thank them for what they're doing as well. I think they don't get enough um, thanks all the time or like that appreciation for them. Like it's, ex- it's expensive to create these products as well and they're compromising their bottom lines. So um, it takes brands and companies like that to, yeah, to commit to change. Well, thank you for paving the way in the health and wellness industry. You're doing an amazing job and I can't wait to keep watching your journey. Thanks for having me. Thank you.